0: Our Father, as we look to your word uh, this morning, we pray that you will speak to us and that your word would give us hope and that we could live our lives, Lord, uh, placing our trust in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can I have my slides? Yeah, thank you. See, there was a story of a young boy by the name of Tom who built a boat. He had it all fixed fixed up and he, he carried, and after completing it, he carried his new boat to the edge of a river and he carefully placed it on the water and slowly let the string out and the boat sailed smoothly. And so Tom actually then sat by the river under the tree, admiring the little boat that he had built all by himself. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat, and he tried to pull the boat back, but he could not. The string broke, and the little boat actually raced downstream. And so Tom ran as fast as he could, trying to catch up, with his boat, but the little boat soon just disappeared. All day, he tried searching for the boat, and finally, it was too dark to search anymore, and so he went home feeling very sad. A few days later, while he was on his way home from school, he spotted a boat that looked just like his boat, the one that he has built, Uh, in a store window. And so when he got closer, he stopped and then he walked closer to look at the boat, and true enough, it was his boat. And so he hurried into the store and said to the manager, Sir, that's my boat, and I made it. The guy said, Sorry, someone brought it in this morning, and if you want it, you will have to buy it from my store, and it costs $5. Now, for a kid, $5 is a lot, huh? And so the poor boy hurried home and poured all the coins out of his piggy bank, uh, a piggy box, all right, and he counted it, and it was exactly $5. And he ran back to the store, and he paid, and he told the guy, he said, this is the money for my boat. And he got the boat, and he hugged the boat, and he said this. Now... You are twice mine. First, I made you, and now I bought you. You see, this phrase, first I made you, and now I bought you, in a sense, summarizes our relationship with God. We started the year by looking at the creation story. Remember, those of you who were here, And we learned that we are made in God's image. God made us in his image, and it was good. And then very quickly, we saw how that good image was marred because of sin. And sin did not just stop at Adam and Eve. The effects of sin continues continues on, to the subsequent generation. And the Bible, in a sense, is a whole story of God trying to redeem his people. You see, on our own, we will never be able to deal with sin. We all need help. We all need a Redeemer who would step into our shoes, who would step into our lives, in order to bring us out of the grip of sin. This morning, we begin a series on redemption as a family. You see, God redeems not just the individual, but He redeems the family. God saves not just the individual, but He saves the family. We actually can see this recorded in scripture, and we take, for example, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul and Silas were put in prison for casting a spirit out of a slave girl. And as a you know, this slave girl that you find in Acts chapter 16, she has this spirit in her which she predicted the future. And as a result of that, her owners, you know, the people who own her, she's a slave girl, you know, earned a lot of money because she could do fortune telling. Right? So when Paul cast the spirit out of her, this slave girl could no longer predict the future. She could no longer a venture into the business of fortune-telling. And when she could no longer predict the future, cannot make money, no more money already. And so this definitely angered the owners and they dragged Paul and Silas to face the authorities. For that reason, they were put in prison. They were not just put in prison, but they were severely beaten the jailer who was in charge of them was commanded to guard them carefully. And because he was given such special orders, he actually put him into the put them in an the inner cell and then fasten their feet to some, you know, tie them up. Huh? All right. And so the text goes on to tell us that, you know, suddenly in the middle of the night there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prisons were shaken. All prison doors flew open and everybody's chain came loose. And the jailer, what do you think the jailer felt now? The jailer who was specially commanded uh, to take care of, I mean to make sure that Paul and Silas stays in prison. Of course he would say, "Gonla my head. All the all the doors are open, next my head is going to go. So before anything could happen to his head, he decided to take his own head. So he took out his sword and wanted to kill himself and this is when Paul said, shouted out and said, don't harm yourself, we are actually all here. And the first question that the jailer asked Paul and Silas is, "Sirs, what must I do to be safe? That's the first question. You check Acts 16 and see, it is. that's the first question they were asked. And Paul and Silas would say this, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, and you will be saved, you and your household. And the text tells us that the jailer, together with his family, were all baptized. You find this in this verse. The jailer brought them into his House and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You know, friends, this gives us a lot of hope because God not only saves an individual, God not only redeems an individual, but when He saves and when He redeems an individual, He has the family. In mind. And so, friends, with this in our mind and in our hearts, for the next five weeks, we are going to look at God's redemptive work in families. And we begin this week by looking at Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 is a story of how the Israelites were forced into slavery. It is a story of being in bondage. And what does it really mean to be in bondage? You now you imagine yourself being put in handcuffs. When we are handcuffed, it, me- it, mean- it means that we have no freedom. It also means that whoever that is put in charge over us, they have control over us. They ask us to sit, we have to sit. They ask us to stand, we have to stand. They decide what we eat and when we eat. They decide when we sleep and when we should wake. They basically have control over us, And that is what being in bondage actually means. And that's exactly what was happening to the Israelites. They were in bondage, they were, they were forced to be slaves. And sin does that to us as well. Sin keeps us in bondage. We become slaves to sin. And this is what Apostle Paul says in Romans let's go back. Romans 7:18 and 19, he says, "I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot." carry it out. For, I, for, I do, for what I do is not the good I want to do. I missed the word there, sorry. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can you all, is this verse familiar to you all? The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And verse 20 says, "Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does us and that does it. So we can see that sin, it has control over us, it keeps us in bondage and we become slaves it. So based on Exodus chapter 1 by looking at the story of the Israelites who are in bondage there are three things about sin which I would like to share with all of us. And this is where the children is going to pay attention, so you all better pay attention. okay? The first is sin has the tendency to to haunt us. Now, what do I mean by haunt us? Ghosts? You, you might say, Pastor, is Chinese, and you don't talk about ghosts. Well, I, I don't mean ghosts. What I mean is that the effects of sin follows through to the future generations. You see, Exodus, Exodus 1 begins with the names of the 12 sons of Israel correct? And he also mentions that at the the end of verse 5, he says that uh, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, it is worth, you know, it is worth remembering why this family went to Egypt in the first place. How did Israel get into Egypt? Well, they went there because they needed food. They were experiencing famine and they needed food, and they went to Egypt. But the text tells us that Joseph was already there. Joseph was the first member of the family to step foot into Egypt. Now, how did he end up there? You now, Joseph was the favorite son of his father. He was the apple of his father's eye. And because he was the favorite son, his brothers were not very pleased with it. And in a fit of jealous rage, they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. Yet, we find that in the providence of God, Joseph eventually became the prince of Egypt. He was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He was a slave who became the governor by by the providential act of God alone. And because he was the governor, he was able to provide for the family when they needed food. But the irony of it all is the families of the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery end up being slaves themselves, toiling under the hot sun. Now, this is what I meant. Sin has the tendency to haunt us. The mistakes that we do in life, the sins that we commit, has its effect on our future generations. You see, the text tells us that Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But it was the subsequent generation that had to suffer The effects of sin. Sin runs in Jacob's family line. Jacob himself sinned when he deceived his brother Esau of his birthright. Then Jacob's son sinned when they sold Joseph and lied to Jacob that he had died because some animals have eaten him up. And so sin continues to run in this family line, and it continues to haunt them right into their future. So that's the first thing we see. Sin has the tendency to haunt us. The second thing about sin that we learn from Exodus 1 is sin brings hardship and misery upon us. You see, it is never pleasant to be a slave Definitely not here in Exodus 1. Here, the text tells us that slave masters were put over them to oppress them with forced labor. And the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor. And that's what sin does to us sin makes our lives bitter. Sin has its way of sucking. life out of us is neil anderson if you know who this guy is he wrote this book and of course many other books he wrote this book uh titled the bondage breaker and in this book he actually shares a lot of real real life stories of course he didn't disclose the names but he shares a lot of real life stories of how people suffer as a result of sin either committed by themselves or committed on them by someone else. And one of the stories actually talks about a person who is a, a very normal, church-going Christian who lives a very successful life in both his family and career. Sounds something like most of us are, right? Right? But although he appears to have a good and pleasant life, he wasn't really experiencing freedom in Christ. Now, what was the problem? So in a letter to Dr. Anderson, to to this guy, to this writer, he actually describes, describes some of his emotional turmoil. And he says that his emotional turmoil is probably rooted in his childhood experiencing experiences of watching horror movie. Now, pastor, it's Chinese New Year, don't talk about ghosts. Now, I'm just saying what, this is a real-life story, all right? Okay, this, this guy, he, he watches horror movies as, as a kid. And he says that he clearly remembers fearing a visit from a Dracula after watching the movie The Blood of Dracula, you're familiar with that movie i don't know how many years ago lah. anybody have watched the blood of dracula here okay please don't oh there's a hand up there okay but please don't go and watch huh all right because i don't know what the movie is about all right but this guy after watching this movie he he actually feared a visit from the devil and then he says his father on the other hand was pretty hot-tempered he was a very hot-tempered guy and was given to emotional outbursts, meaning suddenly, suddenly he will explode, right? And he says, and this is what he says, my survival response was to sulk and blame myself for upsetting my father. As I grew into adulthood, I continued to blame myself for any and all personal shortcomings and misfortunes. He goes on to say further, says, then... I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I grew spiritually over the next several years, but I never enjoyed complete peace. There was always a lingering doubt about my relationship with God. Friends, here is a man who is doing quite well in life. He is a person who goes to church, and yet he doesn't seem to be living a fulfilled life. Now, why is that so? In his letter, we will find that he makes connection back to his past, and he highlights two things about his past. One is watching horror movies which as a kid, he should not. Number two is his father's behavior towards him. Both of these happenings affected his life deeply right into adulthood. Both of these incidents kind of haunt him right into adulthood, and it brings hardship and misery upon him. See, externally, he might look all right. The fact that he says that he's quite successful. But deep within him, he is struggling with the effects of sin in his life. Some of us here this morning may be experiencing the very same thing. Outwardly, we look absolutely okay. We put on a smile and we go about doing what we need to do. But inwardly, we may be struggling with the effects of sin. Sin either committed by us or committed on us by someone else. Externally, we live successful lives, but inwardly, we live like failures. And so, my friends, since we cannot help ourselves, then we better ask for help. And honestly, honestly, I do think that we are not really good in asking God for help when it comes to the matter of sin in our lives. You see, this guy says that he accepted Christ as his saviour, but I suppose he never really asked Christ to help him with sin in his life until much later. You see, friends, we all need help. Both you and I, we need a Redeemer. And this brings me to the third point about sin that I would like to share from today's passage. And the third thing is, Sin has no final say in our lives. You know, Exodus chapter 1, the whole chapter is basically about bondage, slavery, and oppression. And I was really wondering, how am I going to preach this on a Chinese New Year weekend? Everything is dark, right? But if we read and reread and reread Exodus 1, we actually find a glimpse of hope in this passage hope that god is beginning to do a redemptive work in the lives of these Israelites and also in our lives hope that god is coming to our aid and that was exactly what joseph said while he was in his death, when he was going to die if you look at just genesis chapter 50 the chapter before exodus 1 Joseph would say this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we see this happening, beginning to happen when God placed Hebrew midwives who feared God more than their own lives among them. You see, in the passage, we actually find that the king commanded that all baby boys be, you all are very quiet this morning, be one, be killed. But these midwives who feared God had the courage to disobey the king's command and let the boys live. In a sense, these midwives were able to sense evil in the king's command and that they had the courage to go against it. And the thing about this was that God was pleased with them and actually blessed them with their own families. No, but many scholars argue and say that, but they lied. They lied, right? They lied to the king, right? When the king asked them why, why didn't they actually kill the boys, the lie was, oh, they are very strong. Before I arrived, they already give birth already. You know, many scholars actually argue. They lied. Isn't that wrong? Now, we can argue with that, uh, you know, up front, sideways, back ways, you know, we can argue about that, but we cannot argue about how God felt about them. You see, the text says that God showed kindness to the midwives not because they lied, but because they feared God. They had the fear of God in them. And this is the glimpse of hope that we find in Exodus chapter 1. The Israelites have just set their foot on the path towards redemption. So how can we apply today's lesson in our lives? And if you look at your sermon outline, I have listed there three questions in the outline for all of us to take back and reflect. I know it's Chinese New Year, everybody is busy, but I hope that you all will actually take these questions back and reflect. Number one, the question is, what are some of the past sins that affect us and our families? You see, it is important that we are made aware of some of our past sins so that we can come before God and ask for help. Just, of course, God knows us better than we know ourselves, but we need to be aware of our past sins so that we can come before God with confession and allow Him to do the work of redemption in our lives. So, what are some of the past sins that affect us and our families. Number two, the question is, how do we address sin at present so that our future generations would not be affected? Now, one of the ways based on today's passage is to have a deep sense of the fear of God in us. Now, having the fear of God doesn't mean that we can lie when we, when we find convenient. Well, our children, uh, please don't go back and tell mom and dad, you know, midwives lied so I can lie. No, having the fear of God doesn't mean that we lie, but having the fear of God means that we understand the mind and heart of God for us. Having the fear of God also means that we reject evil altogether in whatever, in whatever forms it presents itself. Question number three, are we able to trace glimpses of God's redeeming work in our lives as well as our family? Now for this question, I encourage us to take some time this week as some of us are already gathering as families at home you know take some time to reflect as a family how God has been working in your life and take to do take time to do this as a family you know try to sense God's redeeming work in your family and perhaps what you could do is what you could do is perhaps you can write a love message to your family member so if you can write a message to your wife, wives can write messages to your husbands, and you can do so with your children as well, you write to them, describing to them how you see God working in their lives, okay, uh, put it in the red packet, put the message in the red packet and then give it to them, all right, all right? do this for one another so that as a family, you can hold on to the hope that God continues to redeem us every day of our lives, right? I encourage all of us to do that. And I would like to end with a story actually taken from our daily bread. This story, taken from daily bread, There was a young boy holding a rusty cage with a few old birds inside the cage. A man saw him with the birds and asked the boy, where did you get these birds? Oh, I tracked them out in the field. So what are you going to do with these birds? The man asked further. He said, oh, I'm going to play with them. Then I'm going to pluck their feathers one by one. And after that, I'm just going to feed them to the old cat that's at home. The man then said, oh, well... Let me have those birds. I will buy it from them. And the boy was surprised to hear that the man wanted to buy these miserable birds. And he said, sir, surely you don't want them. They are old birds and they actually cannot sing at all. But the man insisted that he would buy them and he gave the boy $50. you don't give a boy, an eight-year-old boy $50. I think he will be very happy. All right? Fifty And the exchange was made, and the boy went away, feeling extremely happy, whistling away. The man then opened the door of the cage and let the struggling birds soar into the sky. And as he stood there, watched the birds fly away, this is what he said. The boy said that the birds could not sing. But when I released them, they winged their way heavenward, It seemed to me they were singing, Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. You see, friends, both you and I and our families, we have been held captive by sin. But Christ has purchased our pardon and has set us free. Not just us, but our families as well. When a person has this life-changing experience, he or she will want to sing redeemed 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 now as we prepare our hearts for our closing song let us truly remember the fact that god has sent jesus to truly redeem us let us pray